Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Welcome back to another week, James. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. For that dramatic entrance to another week. dramatic. Yeah. You got a dramatic episode for us? Oh, it's going to be so dramatic. Scott plans every episode, by the way. I just show up and start talking. Ah. We oh. both show up and figure out what we should talk about. And yeah, start talking. it's a fun time to brainstorm. And uh, we're going to talk about some dates today. Yeah, milestones um, kind of by age when you might want to be thinking about things. So this could be for you. It could be for a family member. It could just be for a friend that you're at a barbecue with and you hear someone turns a certain age. We're going to talk about the things, uh, the planning items that can come up based upon age today. Yes. Because a lot of tax law or investment rules or healthcare stuff, it depends upon your age. Yeah. And so understanding what those ages are is nice, not just for you, but for family or for things to even prepare for in the future. Uh, so let's let's do it. All right. Where should we start at the beginning? Let's start at the beginning. What is the first age that matters? Birth. Birth. Oh. Taking that first breath. Yeah. You don't even know you're taking your first breath. It just happens. You know, and what happens at that time, other than the miracle of life, obviously, what's, yeah. uh, what's the significance of that? Well, obviously, a lot of things happen there, but that's the age at which you could, you know, if we think of it from an investment standpoint, that's the age at which you could have, you know, a 529 now in someone's name as a beneficiary. Maybe you could start gifting funds to them through a, a UTMA or UGMA account. We talked about those in the past. Yeah. Something. Yeah, probably a whole lot more stuff going on in parents' heads when there's a birth, but but we geeky financial advisors we're going to cover it. We just think about saving for college. Right what away. a great day that is! You can now start saving for a college plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is actually is important because I've had people ask me. They say, "Oh, we're pregnant, or we're expecting, or family members expecting. Can we start setting up a college account for that child?" Yeah. Well, you really can't until the child's born. Um, really, you're going to need a social security number, all that stuff for the child to do it. So as soon as that child is born, though, you can jump right in and start going for it because that's the first thing that they qualify for from an investment standpoint. Yep. Now, there is a little tiny hack if you want to be saving ahead of time for someone. You can always open a 529 account in your name and name yourself as the beneficiary and then change that beneficiary in the future. Yes. Um, but Normally, you have other goals. So normally, if you want to get up to a nine-month head start for that child that's going to be born, then you can do that, or you can just do that at any time. Yeah. But all right, cool. Um, you know, it, it, when this, when we bring it up about birth and age, though, we're obviously we're going to kind of talk about the a lot of the tax laws that relate to this today. It's kind of where the frame we're coming from. But there are other things you can do, right? Like the moment I hear about birth of a child, if it's like you and Ashlyn were to have a little one, I would immediately think like, do you have enough life insurance yeah. as well? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Now we have a little one to take yeah, care that of. That does not sound like that's the only thing you should be considering at birth. No, but I just <laughs> want to give you that as a, as a, a we're not going to do that every single point along the way, but just to think like we're kind of hitting like the, the rules that exist kind of in the tax code that we can put to our use. The important milestones. That makes sense. Along the way. Makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah. 
So obviously Bert's a big one. Yeah. Um, then what? Um, well, there's really not a whole lot that happens for the next 13 years. I promise you a lot happens from the standpoint of a doesn't look like it. I'm looking child. at the rules right now and it looks like a very uneventful 13 years. <laughs> yes, according and to then us, yes, nothing happens. <laughs> what happens at age 13? Uh, at age 13, you, we, the, the government's going to consider your little one old enough and mature enough to no longer need dependent care. Ah, Yeah. So up until this point, you've been able to get um, perhaps some tax credits on your tax return for paying for um, someone to help take care of your children, or maybe through work, you have that dependent care FSA account, flexible spending account that you can put pre-tax money in mm-hmm. to help pay for, for child care. Age 13, no more. Yeah. The government somehow thinks that your kids are responsible and doesn't need that child care anymore. Yeah, they're latchkey kids. Now. They're not going to give you the, the child care credit anymore, which is different than what happens at age 18, where the child is no longer eligible for the child tax credit. Okay. Different yeah. from the child independent care. So just credit. to end on 13, 13, they're going to go play Roblox or Fortnite now only. You mm-hmm. can't have them I'm with a nanny or a babysitter anymore. Um, you can't get a tax credit for it at least. Right. Yes. Um, so now, we'll f- and then we fast forward to age 18, as you just mentioned. Like once again, five years of uneventful stuff happening. Your child turns 18 and? No more child tax credit. Like no more said. child tax credit. Just as a reminder for the child tax credit, it is a, a point. So there's a new, there's now something we're calling the advanced child tax credit that just started happening with um, the administration this year. What they're doing is starting in July, they started sending money to um, families who have children who are con- considered dependents, they're on the tax return, they started sending money for that child tax credit ahead of time. If you're a joint filer and you make more than $150,000, you're going to have to pay that money back at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So um, rather than pay it back, you can go to the IRS website and choose to opt out of the advanced tax credit. If you search advanced child tax credit in IRS, you should land on that page pretty easily. Yes. Yeah, and that's that credit. If the child is under the age of six years old, the cha- the tax credit is thirty six hundred dollars. Which, like you're mentioning, Scott, typically that was just a credit that would be applied when you would file for your taxes. But now it's being sent out in advance, so three hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a child between ages six and seventeen, it's three thousand dollars per year, which just comes out to the uh, twenty five hundred dollars per month being paid over that time. And twenty five hundred a month. Am I doing that math right? Six hundred. I'm sorry, 500 per month. I was averaging <laughs> over 12 months, not the six months. Thank you for checking me on that. <laughs> like, wait, hold on. That's a big step down. That's a really nice credit. 500. Let's have kids. <laughs> <laughs> but that $3,000 for age six to 17, that if you're not receiving that, and you're like, I have kids between that are under six for between six and 17, you're, you still have to qualify with your income. So if your income's under $150,000 and you file taxes married filing jointly, you fully qualify. If you're single and your income's under $75,000, you fully qualify. You start being phased out and then lose the credit fully uh, as income rises above that. But at age 18, the child's no longer eligible for that right. child tax credit. Uh, what else happens at 18? So the- Besides well, a whole the, bunch of weird developmental well, stuff. The, 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 we now feel as a society, you're old enough to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also go to war. And we also think that your age of majority in most states, we think you're an adult. Yeah. And what is age majority? What's the significance of that? Are there account types you can use or not use anymore because of that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the account types you cannot use anymore are the uniform gift to minor or the uniform trust to minor accounts. We can't use those any longer. 
And we can start using normal accounts like regular yeah. IRAs and Roth IRAs and taxable accounts. The other thing is mom and dad really don't have control over the children's assets anymore. That's really what age of majority is yeah. getting at here. At least I'm not a lawyer. That's the way I view it. Um, you're now at an age where you can go sign your own contracts and make your own choices and do your own dealings. Yeah. Yep. You can no longer use the UGMA or UTMA accounts and you can, the child can now just start opening up their own accounts. It doesn't have to be a custodial account in their own name. I'm going to give one little tiny caveat here because you can go, you can go back and listen to the episode we've done on estate planning. But when I was 18, if my parents, if anything, luckily nothing bad has happened to my parents, but if something had, and I'd received a big pile of money from an insurance policy, perhaps, cause I was worried earlier, just as I said at the beginning that like, if, uh, if, uh, you know, you guys have kids, you need life insurance. Well, I would have had it. My, I, my parents would have had it. I would have received it. Yeah. Um, I would have been a blithering idiot with that money. So having a proper estate plan in place is really helpful um, until your kids get to not only age of majority, but age that you feel they will actually be responsible. Yeah. Yes. Good point on that. Um, also at age 18, the child's no longer subject to the kitty tax. What's the, what's the kitty tax? The kitty tax is if you have not kitty like kitty cat, not like kitty cat. No, kitty like uh, kid. K i d i e. Yeah, yeah. Like just a nice way of saying kid. The kitty tax. If you have income as a kid, that's investment income, not mm -hmm. like a salary or a wage or some something that you're earning from employment. Mm -hmm. You are paying. It it it. it determines whether you're paying at your own tax rate or whether you're paying your parents' tax rate. The kitty tax says that if that investment income is less than $2,200, then the child pays taxes on that at their own tax rate, which would be effectively nothing. For the most part, yeah. For the most part. Yeah. If the child has investment income in excess of $2,200, then they're paying taxes at their parents' tax rate. Yep. And the reason for that is it's just to try to prevent parents from putting all the assets in the kid's name because the kid has low income, so totally. the kid's going to have a much lower tax bracket, and we'll put all the assets in the kid's name and then transfer them back to us later. It's just to avoid that. So the kitty mm -hmm. tax is designed to be a cap on that, where any investment income over $2,200, the kid's going to pay parents' tax rates on that, on that income. Yes. So, so that, that, uh, that goes away unless they're a full-time student. So for yes. a lot of listeners around here, your kids go to college. They are still subject to the kitty tax, which essentially means they're still on your tax return, yep. right? It's really what it's looking at. If if they are age of majority and they're no longer under your house and they file their own taxes, that's uh, the kitty tax goes away anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So a whole lot there at age 18. Mm -hmm. um, what's the next age? So there's just another one for age, age 21. That's when, the, so interestingly enough, most states age 18 is the age of majority. There's only three states. Um, as of at least when we're doing this, unless they change laws, uh, that are that are older. So, um, uh, and they are Alabama and Nebraska, age nineteen. Apparently, they thought uh, you need one more year in those great states. Great. And in Mississippi, they think you should be twenty-one. All right. But you know, I kinda, fair enough. You, you can have a beer now. Your age of majority. I'm I'm with you. So, in those three states, if you're listening there, that's the age of majority for a child, and that's also when UGMA and UTMA accounts terminate because those are child accounts. You got it. And then if we did go to college age 24 up to age 24 if that you're you're in undergrad more than 4 years, uh that's when kitty tax finally falls off. Yes, if you're still a full-time student and you're 24, you don't get to carry the kitty tax with you any further. Right. Cool. Um after 24, we have 26 and 26 is Yeah, so a lot of people probably familiar with this one. one. 
Yeah. Right? That's when we had the update on, on insurance plans um, under Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, they were allowing people with children in school or just minors of, of kids. Well, they don't become minors. They're age of majority. Yeah. That's the difference between minor and majority, by the way. Um, allows them to stay on mom and dad's insurance until you're age 26. Yeah. And that's a fun one for people to go figure out insurance when you turn 26. Yay. Well, by then they should be hopefully smart, uh, you know, wise enough to handle that. Yeah. One. Maybe they have a job where they get coverage. Maybe not, but mm-hmm. 26 time to go find it. That's right. Um, cool. So that's 26. Then we have a big jump. What's the next age? Uh, so then we just go quiet for basically half of a lifetime. Yeah. And then we come back to age 50 and all of a sudden the, the tax code says we can do a bunch of stuff. Yes. At age 50, that's when most, well, that's when retirement accounts have catch-up contributions. Yes. So IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457s, really any retirement account. If it's a traditional IRA or Roth IRA, at least for 2021, when we're recording, the catch-up contribution is an extra $1,000 right. per individual. Right. 6,500 for the 401ks and yep. all that stuff. 401ks and extra 6,500. Mm-hmm. So though that is a pretty important milestone. Uh, that's more money for retirement and tax advantage accounts. You know, one that I personally didn't know, cause I don't know that much of, I can't, I have not worked with someone who would be on social security benefits as a disabled widow or widower, but at age 50, you can start collecting benefits if that's you. Yes. If you are a disabled widow or widower, as soon as age 50, you can collect social security as opposed to waiting to other ages, which we'll outline yeah. in just a second here. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's 50. At 55, what happens? Well, we get to make catch-up contributions on HSA accounts. Awesome. Now, which is funny to me that they didn't just write at the same age as the catch-up contributions. Yeah, well, I just keep it at 50. Accounts, but, you know. That, that is important to know, though. At age 50, you think you get to do catch-up contributions, and you do, but not on HSAs. Mm-hmm. So you got to wait till 55 for that. But another thing that happens here is... If you have a retirement account, so these are usually what's under the ERISA plans, which are the 401ks and the 403bs of the world. Now you could take withdrawals from those plans and not have a penalty on the withdrawal. Which is good to know because most people, they know about the age 59 and a half rule where that's mm-hmm. when you can pull money out of retirement accounts. Yep. But the workaround to that is if you retire after 55 from the company that you retired from, if there's a 401k there, you can actually pull money from there. Still pay if taxes. You leave it there. If you leave it there, not if you roll it over. If you roll it into an IRA, that's the next kind of bracket for the, the along this little journey of milestones. 59 and a half is when we can take from IRA accounts, individual retirement accounts, without paying that 10% penalty. Yes. Still pay taxes. If it's traditional IRA, you'll always pay taxes, but it's the penalty that goes away at age 59 and a half, which obviously you don't want to pay a 10% penalty. For an early distribution if you don't absolutely have to. So yeah. that's a nice age. Um, cool. And then six months later, we have age 60. Age 60. And at 60, if you are a widow or widower, age 60 is actually the age at which you can begin to collect your survivor benefit. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a reduced rate. It's not what the full benefit would have been. But a lot of times when you're looking at claiming strategies for a widow or widower, you're going to be doing, you're going to Typically switch with one benefit or start with one benefit and then switch to your own benefit at a later time as mm-hmm. a way of getting the best of both worlds there. So at age 60 is when you're eligible to claim social security benefits, survivor benefits as a widow or widower. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the next group of benefits or milestones is really between it, it ties back into social security and then there's also Medicare along the way. Um at age 62 is the, the youngest that you can be 
to uh, to accept Social Security mm-hmm. um, as a as a standard, like a normal uh, someone who's who's filing for it under under the normal rules for your own retirement benefit, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So sixty two is the earliest you take the reduction, but you're eligible then. Yep, we're just going to remind you that every every year you delay, you do get to keep more. Yep, going up to your full retirement benefit, and then you can go from your full retirement benefit, and you can extend all the way to a maximum of seventy um, to get the maximum that you could possibly get from Social Security. Well, now you're just skipping ahead on our flyby. <laughs> we haven't even hit the sixty four nine months time frame yet. Well, that that's Medicare. Okay, yeah, it's not as exciting. So at at 64, nine months, that's when the initial enrollment period for Medicare begins. So at age 65, you're eligible for coverage under Medicare. Three months before that happens is when the initial enrollment period begins. Now, if you're still working and have coverage through your employer's plan, you don't have to enroll in Medicare right away. You'll have a special enrollment period when you do terminate work or no longer covered there. But assuming you don't, the enrollment period for Medicare opens three months early at age 64, nine months. And then, of course, Medicare at age 65. Uh, awesome. And then at 66, well, from 66 to 67, this is when your social security full retirement age would be. Yes. And really it could be anywhere in between then. Really, if your age as of this recording in 2021, if you're 61 or younger, your full retirement age for social security will be 67. Mm -hmm. If you're 60 this year, your full retirement age will be 66 in 10 months. If you're 59 this year, turn 59 this year. 66 and eight months. And it just continues on down the line where if you're full retirement age or if you were born between 1954 or before really, 1943 to 1954, full retirement age is 66. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next? This is back next? to where you were trying to skip ahead on us. Yeah. So we've got, we got all the way from now, you know, your full retirement age, and then you can obviously choose to not take it each year to receive more benefit. Um, for the future. If you think of it as a longevity play on life, it could be a smart thing to do, especially if you have other assets to utilize. Um, but you can look at that at a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Um, once you reach 70 and a half, that used to be the required minimum distribution. That's changed. One thing that hasn't changed is 70 and a half is when you're allowed to make qualified charitable distributions. Can you yeah. explain what those are? Yeah. So uh, what a ch- qualified charitable distribution is, it's when you take funds that are inside of your IRA and use them directly to a charity instead of taking them as a cash distribution and then giving it to a charity. And the reason that might make sense is unless you're itemizing your deductions when you file taxes, if you take the distribution from your IRA and then give it to a charity, you might not actually be able to deduct that on your tax return. Mm -hmm. Because unless you're itemizing your deductions, you're just going to take the standard deduction. So it didn't actually help you pay some taxes on it. Whereas if you do it directly from your IRA, you don't even have to recognize that income. You just send it right to the charity. They get the full amount. You don't have to worry about reporting that as income. And it's a win-win. Yep. So that's 70 and a half. Like Scott said, that used to be the required minimum distribution age. It's now later, but the qualified charitable Distribution age is still the same age of 70 and a half. Totally. Um, and then the grand finale. Age 72, required minimum distributions. Yeah. R- remind me what those are again. When you turn 72, you're going to be required to start taking funds from any of your pre-tax retirement accounts. 
IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457s, really anything that you got a tax deduction for when you made the contribution, you're going to have to start distributing those accounts. And it's a percentage of your account each year that you have to distribute. And it starts around 37 to 3.8% if you just look at the way it's calculated. And that percentage starts going up over time because the IRS is basing it on a life expectancy table. So as you get older, life expectancy decreases, which means the percentage you have to take out increases. Yes, absolutely. So basically the the government's like, hey, we'll give you a deal, put money away, don't pay taxes on it now. But once you reach age 72, they start forcing you to take that money out. And as you're just saying, based on the life expectancy. Yes. There is a little tiny caveat. If you and your spouse have a really big gap in years, which I believe it's greater than 10, there's actually a different life expectancy table because the life expectancy tables are typically based for two people. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something to keep in mind too, just in case. Um, But man, that was a lot of information about dates of birth. Who knew there was this many things to think about? Yeah, it's like all the important things that could happen in a person's life, I think, right? Just from a tax standpoint. Actually, the one thing (laughs) I want to add for age 18, um, for those of you who have kids, is um, because it is age of majority rules, a simple thing that you can do to be helpful with your children when they reach age 18 is help them get a power of attorney and a healthcare directive. Which goes back to estate planning for just a, te- a second, but yeah. the moment they're age of majority, you're no longer in charge of their stuff. Mm. So you technically don't have a say in what happens. Um, a power of attorney and a healthcare directive can make it so that you can mm. have a say really easily. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is a good flyby of important milestones. Obviously, yes. this is very broad, but good to know these dates sometimes. Absolutely. All the times. Cool. Well, anything else for today? No. Um, feel free to send in your questions. We love answering them. And, um, yeah, if, if you feel this has been, if this show's ever been helpful to you in any way, please go leave a review. We want to help more people so that everyone can be financially literate and we can stop the show until then (laughs) we're going to keep going. All right. See y'all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.